Every election year, we are inundated with mudslinging, accusations, promises, hopes, and fears. Civility seems to go out the window as our minds are swayed towards a specific political platform and we choose who will lead our country. Jesus didn't have a political platform. He had an eternal platform. He wasn't trying to build a government. He was building his kingdom. So what if we could do this year differently? What if we could act differently and become an inspiration instead of just another voice in the angry crowd? What if we could join Jesus in his mission and call people into a better way? I've got a friend named Ty. He calls me his favorite misguided and deceived evangelical. I call him my favorite agnostic, and we have great conversations together. He heard about our topic, and this past Monday, we grabbed a cup of coffee together because I really enjoy hearing his perspective. The conversation started with these words. He said, Christians and politics, now that's a lethal combination. I can't say I disagree with him. When he said that, Ty popped off and he just kind of said, you know, I wish I had an opportunity to talk to your people. That's what he calls you. He calls you Grant's people. I call you God's people. And I jumped on the opportunity and I said, do it. Talk to my people right now from your perspective, your worldview, how you view the lens of everything that's going to happen over the next 10 to 11 months. Do it right now. And I promise you, I give you my word. I will quote you and give you an opportunity to talk to my people. So this is wisdom from Grant's unsaved and unchurched friend, from his heart to you, and he promised me he'd come tomorrow morning because I said I'm gonna be talking about you all weekend. (laughs) This is what Ty said, number one, stop defending bad behavior. Ty said this, I don't care who you support, I seriously don't care. But when the person you're supporting is doing something that violates your own moral code, don't make excuses. Just say, yeah, that's wrong and I don't agree with it. I actually think that's really, really good wisdom. Secondly, Ty said this, for the love of God. And I went, ah. (laughs) He's like, whatever. Um, For the love of God, stop being so easily offended. I was going to head in a completely different direction this week, but Ty, with that statement, created an opportunity that I cannot pass up. A few years ago, an article by Francis Frangipane was followed up by a message here at this church by Pastor David Browning. Those two things, that message and that article, really got me thinking, and I began to think about this, this particular angle. What if I could develop an unoffendable heart? What if I could get outside of all the chaos and all the fray and all the stuff that's going to happen. And what if I could actually become unoffendable? How would that affect my relationships with guys like my, my friend Ty? I think we can uh, agree on this. In any season, <laughs> there are lots of opportunities to be offended, Right? Some of you may have been offended by some of the answers that I gave during the Ask Me Anything message that we did a couple of weeks ago. You might have walked in tonight with strong opinions about the coffee, the volume, the cologne of the person sitting behind you or in front of you. I I, I mean, you could have grabbed a hold of any number of things today and just said, I'm going to stick with that for a little while to the point where I'm absolutely offended. The reason I know you can do that is because I can do it too. Give me enough time and opportunity, I can get offended about just about everything. It gives me a helpful hint that ties back to last week. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. 
Let me say that again. Just because you're offended, it doesn't mean you're right. I was watching a replay of the Democratic debate in a coffee shop this past week. We're just watching the same TV screen. Some people are cheering. Some people are groaning. Some people look like they're in physical pain. And they were on the same team, which is just kind of interesting to me. One person, obviously from another place on the political spectrum, finally got frustrated, walked out of the room, turned around before she left and said, you people are all idiots, walked out the door. (laughs) Can we agree that in this political cycle and political time of life, there's even more opportunities to be offended? Have a question. What if being offended was actually an opportunity to become more Christ-like? Here's why this matters right here and right now. It's number two in your outline. Offense, I believe, is the ultimate platform killer. Not just for people who are on a different platform, but for also those for those who are supposed to share a a platform. When we make a decision to live with an offense inside of our heart, we are risking spiritually debilitating damage. I have seen offenses shred people's hearts, split up families, and it produces nothing but anger and resentment if they're actually allowed to grow inside of the depth of our soul. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. This is so unbelievably relevant. I, I, I ran into some young men the other day at a coffee shop. I don't know if you heard about this, but there was a hoax that went out on the internet where young men were getting texts that appeared to be uh, leading them towards the idea that they were all going to be drafted. And they actually responded to it because if you saw the text, it would have freaked you out too. And I saw this group of young men in the corner of a local coffee shop actually planning on ways that they were going to try and get to Canada. And you can laugh at that all you want to. I don't think it's funny. They were freaked out. Matthew 24 says this, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Ooh, some things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. So there's some national indicators that the end of the world may be coming. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. There's some natural indicators that God points to. It says in various places, all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. National indicators, natural indicators, interpersonal indicators. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So here it is. Jesus is actually predicting there's going to be an uptick in offense not just between people on opposite ends of the political spectrum, people that are actually standing on the same political spectrum. Don't miss what he instructs here. Jesus says, in the face of offense, just stand firm. Don't move. Let me say this, number three. There's a huge difference between being wounded and being offended. We're all gonna get wounded. Like, it's just a part of life, right? People are gonna say things. People are gonna do things. People are not going to say things. People are not going to do things. And we're going to get wounded. We're all going to get wounded. Being offended is what happens when we leave that wound unattended. We don't process the hurt. And instead of choosing to be healed, we fixate on the wound. It's kind of the difference between being stung by a bee and going, wow, that hurts. That really, really hurts. What's the first thing you're supposed to do, though? Get the stinger out. 
Scrape it out with a credit card. YouTube it. I mean, like, what do I do when I get stung by a bee or a yellow jacket? I'm actually supposed to do something about it. That's a wound. It becomes an offense when we start fixating on the wound and we brood over it and we stare at it and we don't do anything to remove the infection and before we know it, that infection is affecting our entire body from top to bottom. It's like the difference between anger and resentment. I mean, anger over the wound happens, but when we don't deal with it, when we let time lapse, resentment begins to grow and instead of dealing with the hurt, we neglect the wound, resentment settles in. I mean, just think about the word resentment. It's this, we keep resending our feelings back to the wound. Instead of healing it, we just keep coming back to it because we cannot get over it. You're going to get wounded. You don't have to be offended. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. There's an old saying, you've heard it before, hurt people hurt people, wounded people wound other people. We may think resentment starts internal, but the reality is it starts internal and it begins to creep out and it will affect everyone around you. It works like this. You get bit and then you grow fangs. Why? Because it happens. Number four, fact of life. If you allow a wound to become an offense, your offense will become your God. You won't be able to get past it. If you allow your heart to be warmed by an old offense, your heart will grow cold towards God. I promise you, I've lived it. Jesus will keep calling you, forgive, let it go. Don't hold on to it, but that old offense is gonna, that old wound is gonna keep calling to you. Nah, get even, have some revenge, balance the scales. I promise you, if you're worshiping your old hurts, you can't worship God at the same time. I meet a lot of people who worship their old pain more than they worship the God who says, I'd actually like to deliver you from that pain. I believe a large part of spiritual maturity, number five in your outline, involves developing an unoffendable heart. In fact, God makes an offer to us. I love this verse. It says this, God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart a flesh. So tonight, it means this, you get to choose. You can live with the hard heart of offense. You can stay there and not move. Or you can choose a soft heart where God presses in and calls us up to his platform. Here's my question. What if you took God up on the offer for a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone? I mean, what if knowing with absolute certainty. Someday I'm going to get hurt again. We're all going to get hurt again. But what if I chose not to allow that wound to fester and take root? What if I could actually become unoffendable? What if we did that together? What would happen in our community? What would happen to my friend Ty if he didn't actually believe our reputation? Hate to break it to you, the family of God has a reputation for being easily offended and highly reactive. Does that shock anybody here? Hope not. It's kind of sad, right? In the last election cycle, I saw an interaction in our parking lot. It actually broke my heart. 
Young man rolled into our parking lot with a bumper sticker that supported a particular candidate. I knew he was going to be here because his friend told me he was coming. He had been invited by a friend who told him, Christ the King is a place where you can hide in the back row and heal for as long as you need to. He was told, if you go to Christ the King, you can be accepted just exactly the way you are in your brokenness. All they want to do is introduce you to a Jesus who offers forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. He was actually coming that night to investigate faith in Jesus. But before he even made it through the front doors, another man saw the bumper sticker on his car, was offended, confronted him in our parking lot and said, you can't love Jesus and support that candidate. I watched it from inside the doors and before I could get to the parking lot, that young man got back in his car and drove away and I've never seen him since. I saw the look on his face, I saw the hurt. For the record, I followed the other man into the building and we had words, strong words. Because he was offended, someone else's heart grew cold. I think that interaction broke the heart of Jesus. I really do. Here's the question. What if we had unoffendable hearts? I mean, what opportunities could we have to influence and encourage people if we just chose a heart that was not so easily offended? I really believe the Bible teaches us some keys to resilience, how we build that unoffendability inside of us just so we can have a conversation. Believe me, I am not making an appeal for you to abandon your convictions in any way, shape, or form. My question is this. Can you actually present your convictions in a way that draws people towards Jesus instead of repels him? Here's four keys to resilience. Number one, separate who you are from what others think or do. I think releasing offenses starts with your identity in Jesus. This is what the word of God says to God's people. From Colossians 3, it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I got a conviction, a lot of insecurity results in a lot of offense. I mean, if your identity is developed from what people think about you, if you actually take your cues from people and what they think about you, you're gonna be tempted to take an offense over and over and over and over again. We need to get to a place where we are so secure in our spiritual identity, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. The only opinion that we consider in, deep inside of our hearts is the opinion of the one who made us. Don't let other people or their reaction to you define your spiritual identity. Secondly, I think we need to learn how to respond to injury appropriately because it's gonna happen. You're gonna get hurt. Welcome to being human. I mean, Jesus actually told us, right? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> you will have trouble. I like the end of the verse. It says, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. That's really good news but we're gonna have trouble. So when we are injured and we're all gonna get injured, the Bible actually tells us exactly what to do. We're supposed to respond directly, okay? When there's a wound, you're supposed to go right to the person. We don't, we don't pull back, we engage, we press in. In fact, in Matthew 18, 15, the Bible says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. You should underline the next number of words just between the two of you. That means you don't talk to your prayer partner first. 
That means you don't get a committee in your small group and go and line up. How many people have been hurt by this guy? Yeah, let's go get him. No, 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 no. Just between the two of you. The circle of offense is as big as the circle of reconciliation. That's what the Bible says. We sit down, we talk, we assume good intent, we keep the circle of forgiveness as small as the circle of offense. We do it directly. Secondly, we respond kindly. Now you'll notice that I said, I didn't say we respond in kind. Because if we respond in kind, it just goes bad, right? That means you're going to Target, somebody pulls in front of you, they flip you off, you do what? Right back, right? You're seeing birds all over the intersection. It's not good for anybody, right? Not in kind, but with kindness. The Bible says in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You know what comes right after those verses? Jesus talks about salt and light. It's no mistake. He's saying this, you're gonna get wounded and when you get wounded, people are gonna watch. They wanna know, like my friend Tyson, ah, this person says Jesus looks after them. Let's find out how, how Jesus looks after them when they're hurt. When I choose not to be offended because of the wound, I actually have an opportunity to create some flavor in a bland world around me. I get an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus because I can offer grace and forgiveness exactly like he gave me. I mean, in those moments, I get an opportunity to shine. I mean, when you get hurt and it's wrong and everybody knows it's wrong, when you respond like Jesus responded in the face of sin. People see it, they're amazed by it, and they pay attention to it. You know what everybody else is doing? They're offended. Let me type in all capital letters. I'm just going to lash back. When someone steps back and goes, wow, that hurt. Good thing my identity doesn't come from that wound. Jesus got wounded. And you know how he responded? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. Thirdly, we're supposed to respond quickly. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. I like to say it this way. If you get hurt, you better get moving. Like you better get moving. Observe a godly timeline. Don't get hung up. Don't fixate. The Bible's making a very specific appeal here. When you put anger to bed, you do that on purpose because if you don't put your anger to bed, the next morning it wakes up as resentment. Finally, the Bible calls us to respond thoughtfully. Proverbs 15 says this, a wise man spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. So it just means this, just stop. You got hurt, ouch, that hurt. Before you go out looking for someone to stick with the stinger, just stop, pause, ask yourself, am I responding in godly hope or am I simply reacting in human brokenness? Here's another thing that you can do while you're pausing. You may want to ask a question that will not naturally drop into your brain. Could I possibly be wrong? Third key to resilience is to develop and maintain your emotional defenses. I love Proverbs 25. It says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. 
There's no protection. How do we do that? How do we actually make sure that we are firmly in control? I gave you a couple of ideas in your outline. First one is this. Just take firm control of your responses. I'm going to remind you, you control your mouth, not the other way around. You control your send button, not the other way around. You control your anger. Don't let your anger control you. We got to make sure that we are firmly in control of our responses. If we don't, people get hurt. Secondly, don't borrow an offense from somebody else. I see this all the time. Somebody will come in and say, you know what? I heard someone was offended by you, Grant, and I, I got to come and let them, I got to let you know how you hurt them. I'm like, hold on, just stop for a second. That's not biblical. If you know my brother was offended by something I said, you're supposed to send your brother this way. And here's why. It's not because you don't have something valuable to say. It's because of the simple way the kingdom works. When you take up someone else's offense, you can't get grace from God in that situation. Only the person who was wounded can get grace from God in order to be able to forgive. I know you think you're helping, but you're not. You're actually hurting the situation even more. You don't know the whole story. You only have your perspective. And I've learned something in 30 years of ministry. There's not two sides to every story. There's about 37 sides to every single story. Thirdly, I think we need to carefully manage our expectations. I love this quote, all people make mistakes and messes. All people. I mean, what does the Bible say? It says we all fall short. We're really good at comparing, right? Well, I only fall short a little bit. <laughs> Doesn't matter, you still fell short. Oh, and by the way, you just added pride to the list so you fell a little shorter, just so you're clear, right? All people make mistakes and messes. When we fall short, what if we started with an unoffendable heart to give the benefit of the doubt because we understand that the person who may have wounded us is not the only one who falls short on a regular basis? I think this next one is important. Be careful how you categorize others. I've had to learn this one the hard way. Someone who wounds me is not the enemy. They might be a victim of the enemy, but they're not the enemy. I heard this one time, all are sinners, few are evil. All hurt others but very few intentionally. So my question is this, when you're looking at that other person, are you, are, are, are you categorizing them as your enemy or are you just going, wow, they, they may have been the victim of the enemy in that particular moment? Are you seeing them as a person who falls short? Are they sinister or were they just self-absorbed? Did they have a weak human moment? I don't know about you, but when I look at someone through that lens, the way God sees them instead of the way I want to categorize them, I just have a lot more grace. When I see them as a person who falls short, it allows me to hand them over in the most godly way. Here's the fourth key to resilience. It's to actually hand it over into God's good care. Romans chapter 12, God's talking to his people and he says, okay, here's the deal. Don't take revenge into your own hands. You're horrible at it. And it's bad every single time. God says, you, you, really need, you, you, you really need to leave room for me to work. 
I think revenge is dangerous when we think we can handle it on our own. I don't know about you, Grant and revenge is not a good combination at all. Tried it, didn't work out well for me. I found this quote by Frederick Buchner. I think it's so powerful. Let me just read it to you. I put it in your outline so you can take it home with you. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of both the pain you're giving and the pain you're getting back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Here's the point. When it comes to being offended, don't become your own main course. So let me wrap this up. When we do an Ask Me Anything weekend, I mean, when I sit on my stool up here and you guys text in live questions, which by the way, we had hundreds of questions last time. I think we got to like 36 of them. We put those on the web. What's really interesting to me is we actually put all three services together because all the services have different content and they are the most popular, most downloaded messages that I ever do. The ones when we just talk like this, it's kind of crazy. Whenever we do an Ask Me Anything weekend, I would say that my email box is uh, interesting the next week. No matter what frames I put around my answers, people are inevitably, I mean, offended. And I get it. In a world where truth is relative, where, you know, this truth works for me, where, where we are so willing to say, I'm really glad that truth works for you. Anytime you talk about absolutes or standards or sin or God's ex exclusivity. I mean, I always want to tell people, I didn't say that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He did. I didn't say he was the only way to the Father. He did. Write him a letter. <laughs> he might just answer. Like, go for it. Every time you, you take that stand on that platform of conviction, you're going to get pushback. And I kind of expect it, but it doesn't make it easy. Last week, these were the names attributed to me, and these are the nice ones I can say to you because we're in church. Misguided loser, exclusive hate monger, Bible thumping blank. Which is weird because almost all of the emails start with the words, Dear Grant. I don't. <laughs> you know, the truth is, I could be offended because they're offended. But I've actually been working on this. And I do my best. As soon as I see that little email, I, know, I already know what's in them by how they start. I do my very best to remind myself that's a person, the person on the other end of this email is a person Jesus loved enough to die for. And I pray for their heart. I try to respond as kindly as I possibly can and I always invite them into a further conversation. It's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'd like to talk with you more about this. And when... People ask me why, like, you have no idea how tempting it is 
to start typing. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, capital letters, bold italics with an underline. But you know why I don't? It's, it's because of Jesus. See, God was standing on a perfection platform. God is perfect. Jesus is perfect because Jesus is God. And when I showed up in front of his platform, I was covered and plastered in the most offensive material and decisions that any human could have been draped in. I mean, I just, I, I soaked myself in the foul stench of my own sinful decisions and I had the audacity to show up on the outer edge of his beautiful platform of holiness and perfection. And I came staggering into the room and Jesus had every reason to go, look, I'm perfect, you're not, back off and go away. He did exactly the opposite. He said, come here. Instead of being offended by my broken situation, do you know what Jesus did for me? He went to my spiritual orphanage, picked through the crowd, put his finger on my chest and said, I'll take that one. He's coming with me. And he stripped off the garbage and put a robe around my shoulders. He was gracious. And the way that I respond to the Ask Me Anything emails is exactly his way. Because you know what? I want to be just like him. I'm going to tell you something. In the coming days, people are going to take sides. Some of the sides are going to get painted different colors, red and blue and green. Divisions are going to arise amongst people. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to do something. Somebody's going to post something. And you're going to be offended before you let that wound settle in. I would love for you to stop for just a second and say, Jesus had an unoffendable heart. I wonder if I can too. Hold to your convictions. God bless you as you do. But what if your response was exactly the opposite of what our reputation is? What if instead of allowing an offense to provoke you, what if instead of getting angry, you got hopeful that God had just opened a door for an opportunity for you to work on the discipline of developing an un offendable heart. I love this verse, Psalm 119. I'll wrap up with this. Great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. <laughs> nothing. Nothing can make them stumble. Not great political correctness, not great authority, not great power over people. It actually says great peace. So I'd like to invite you in the coming weeks and days, your email's gonna fill up, your television's gonna fill up, your mailbox is gonna fill up, everybody's gonna say, come and stand on my human platform with me. What if instead of joining them on their platform, you said, actually, I'm already spoken for? I will be a part of the process, but, but, but I, today, I, I, I stand on the platform of the kingdom, which means I talk different, I act different, because I believe different. And if Jesus could have an unoffendable heart, I think I'm gonna work on that for the next 10 months or so. We might be surprised how many doors of opportunity that opens instead of closes. So we're not gonna sing a song, we're not gonna hold hands. 
We're just gonna pray and say, God, help us. Would you stand with me as we do that together? God, I see great opportunity for, for light <laughs> this coming week. So God, over my brothers and my sisters in this room right now, may they be empowered to hold to strong biblical conviction while also becoming unoffendable. God, teach us what it means to hold short accounts, to love each other deeply, and to love the world around us so that in all things, no one would be drawn to us and our platform, but that they would be drawn to the unoffendable platform of Jesus. God, teach us what it means to have an unoffendable heart. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.